One of my favorite authors is G.K. Chesterton, and he has an analogy that I really love for the human heart. He says that the human heart is like a lock. Locks have a logic to them, but they're kind of mysterious and interior. And if you want to find out how to open the lock, the re- really the only way to do that is to look around for the key. You know, you can, I mean, obviously locks, certain locks you can pick, um, so maybe it's not a perfect analogy, but the idea that, like, I'm just going to think really hard about this lock and I'll solve it eventually, and I'll eventually open it, it's impossible. What, the only way to open it is to get the key. But then when you look at the key, look at any key, it's sort of weird. It doesn't seem to have a logic. It's just kind of random bumps. But you know it has a logic when you put it in the lock and it turns and that lock opens up. The heart, he says, is like that. It has a logic, but it's not the kind of logic that you can just think through it and figure out how to unlock it, how to open your heart up to truth and joy and happiness and what the heart really longs for. In a sense, the only way to really open your heart, really to make sense of your own heart, is to find a key that opens it up. And when you find the key, it might look strange. You might not have expected that was the key that my heart was looking for, that my heart is designed for. But you will know because when you turn it, it opens. He says that that's what the gospel is, what Christianity is, the story of our salvation. We never could have made it up. It seems strange. And it seems almost illogical. You look at the gospel and the story of the Old Testament leading into the New Covenant and the revelation in Jesus and his death on the cross, his resurrection. It's so strange that this would be the key. But when we try it on our hearts, it opens. You know, Maybe not perfectly, maybe not the first time we hear it, but there's something logical about the gospel that our hearts are made for. And he says also that when human beings before this revelation, before Jesus Christ came and and showed us what our hearts were made for, we searched. And the two main ways human beings would search were through philosophy or reason and mythology or story. That the way we accounted for the cosmos, the way we accounted for everything, the big questions that were on our hearts that we were looking for the answer for, we'd say, well, the universe is this way or that way and it's all made of the four elements or it's all made of atoms or or, all this philosophy that we had to account for reality. But it always would kind of just fall short. And so people would make up stories, mythologies, and say, the gods made us because they were jealous and needed somebody to keep them company or somebody to offer them sacrifice to please them. And um, there's all these stories, but did people really believe in Zeus and and, Mithra and all these like weird gods and stuff like that? Did they really give their hearts totally to the gods? No, because this, those stories didn't unlock, uh, just as much as the philosophy didn't unlock the wholeness of, of what we long for. But it's in Jesus that we get both perfect reason and perfect story. Like it has all of the, the sense of um, what our, our reason maps to and what, what we want it to make sense all of reality, all of our lives. But it also has this romance. It has this longing and this passion and this love. And what is the gospel? What is this key that unlocks our hearts? It's that, A, God made us for love. He made everything out of nothing. God, who is the fullness of existence himself, perfect being, overflowed and created all that exists, all that we know, with a certain order, with a certain purpose. And he made us in his image. 
so that we could give and receive love. Um, And he made us in perfect relationship to him, to be perfectly happy forever. But he made us free, and with our freedom, we we strayed. We walked away from God. We turned away from him and, and preferred control and power over to this loving trust that was what we were made for. And so we live in this exile. What we all live in is this sort of one foot in heaven. We, we are still the image of God. We still have this capability of great generosity, great love, great virtue. But we have this sickness in us, this concupiscence, this sin. And we're held captive by it. We can't escape it on our own. And we've longed for this Savior to come and set us free, to make us who we were made to be, to restore us into the relationships that give us joy, that give us life. And in the fullness of time, he did come. God, in person, came to save us. Um, and what's more, he gives us his Holy Spirit now to not only just save all of us in theory, but to save you and me very practically. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can become who we were made to be, so we can become another Christ. We can become him and participate in his life. In other words, God made us free so that we could be loved but we used our freedom and in the wrong way and went astray. But he's come after us. He's come to rescue us and to save us. And his love somehow includes all. His providence governs everything. And even our sin, even our walking away, even our straying, he used as a means to bring us home. There's something about that. It's not what we would have guessed is the meaning of existence. But when we hear that story, it makes sense. You know, it it comports with what our hearts know to be true. But then you look at the story of it, and it's so strange. Not only the story in the Bible, like you read Abraham, his story, for instance, and Lot and all that, and you're like, this is the story of how God saves us? Or even this gospel today, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant, and they aren't living together, And he says, okay, I guess I'll just divorce you quietly. (laughs) This is not what I was expecting. You seemed like a very virtuous woman. But then the angel comes to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. She's with child by the Holy Spirit. And you are to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And all the rest of the madness of this story, they have to go to Bethlehem because Caesar calls the census. And then Herod gets mad and is going to kill all the kids. So he has to run with Jesus and Mary to Egypt. And all of the whole story of salvation, even just in the little story of the Holy Family. You're like, that's God's plan? But then look at your life. And all of the madness of it, all of the randomness of it, all of the particularity of your own life and your own heart and your own personality. To believe that God, who created everything out of love, simply to be in relationship with us, to make us free so we could love him back, has come in the messiness of your life and in your walking away and your straying and has come to rescue you. You know, I think it can seem to me a little far-fetched sometimes that God, who is perfect, has come to all this trouble just for me. When you live in a world where people who should give a darn about you simply don't. You know, you're sitting in traffic with hundreds of other people and you're like, am I that important that God came to save me? And everybody else just thinks I'm in the way, (laughs) you know. But it's the truth. Monsignor uh, Luigi Giussani said, 
he's another great example or uh, analogy for the heart, not like not a lock, but he said if the heart was like a river, if you if you were like a river, um, and and if that river could contemplate its source, think about that. Every river, like the Mississippi, if you go all the way up into I think Minnesota, there's like a little creek that is sort of the headwaters of the Mississippi. That supposedly all of the water from the continental United States, west, east of the Rockies, and west of the Appalachians, all flows into the Mississippi, but it has a source. It has a headwaters. Imagine if a river could contemplate where it came from, where it started. That's what we can do. So we're made in the image of God. We have this capacity of reason and freedom. We can contemplate where we came from. And that source is continuing, continuing to create us, continuing to love us, into existence. And that mysterious interior logic of our hearts is still active. It's still live. And when we hear this story again every year at Christmas, in all of its charmingness and cuteness of the baby Jesus and the manger and the shepherds and the magi, there's also this drama. There's also this great, amazing messiness in which God comes to rescue us. Um, and it's still real today. And as far-fetched as it may seem, and, and maybe when, when we feel that distance from, from um, how easy it is to believe, because we can sort of take this story for granted, I know we can, um, maybe we're not far from the kingdom and we feel that tension. Does he really love me that much? Can it really be that true? You pick up that key, you put it in your heart, and you see if it opens it, and, and it will. But there are all sorts, of, uh, all sorts of reasons and all sorts of voices that say, no, it's not true. But to, to listen to that uh, inner voice, to, to contemplate your own source, the God who makes us and is continuing to make us, and listen to that truth.